0: I want us to become brothers again, like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast,
1: monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind threebrothersfilm.com have substantial, nuanced conversations about film. I'm your host this month, Anders Bergstrom, and I'm here with one of my brothers.
0: Aaron? My last name is the same as my brother's.
1: And we're talking about Steven Spielberg's autobiographical coming-of-age film, the Fablemans. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast and reading the website. Ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify are always appreciated. So if you haven't left us one, please consider pausing and doing that right now. Also, if you're one of those people who likes to use YouTube to discover things to listen to, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you can find full episodes and clips, and as part of our James Cameron retrospective, Aaron's video essay introduction to the Canadian director. And with that, on with the show.
0: Okay, ramblers. Let's get rambling.
1: Movies are dreams
0: that you never forget, Sammy.
1: to change how everything looks it's hard to find our house ours is the dark house with no lights
0: in this family it's the scientists versus the artists sammy's on my team takes after me
1: in the age of intellectual property and franchises Steven Spielberg remains one of the few popular directors whose films are an event just based on his name. In the case of The Fablemans, the film has the additional interest in turning the camera on himself, in a way. The Fablemans is a thinly veiled autobiographical look at Spielberg's own childhood and teenage years, and the difficult relationship between his mother and father, and his discovery of cinema as a form of personal expression. But in an age of superhero films, this isn't just Spielberg, the origin story. The Fablemans is a lovely and moving account of a boy in a family torn between art and science. The Spielberg stand-in is Sammy Fableman, played for the bulk of the film during his teenage years by Gabriel LaBelle, and by Matteo Zorian as a small boy. Sammy's family are Jewish, which causes Sammy to be singled out at high school and make them feel sometimes alone in the world. His father Bert, played by Paul Dano, is a computer engineer working for RCA, then GE, and finally IBM, taking the family and his best friend Uncle Benny, played by Seth Rogen, along with him, as his job takes him from New Jersey to Arizona, and finally to California. And this causes some stress for Sammy and his three sisters, as well as their mother Mitzi Fableman, played by Michelle Williams. Mitzi is a concert-level pianist, and while Bert is in many ways a supportive husband, Mitzi finds herself unhappy and unwell, impacting Sammy's life in ways that he could not have imagined. The film begins with Sammy attending a viewing of Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth as a small boy. This is his first movie as a kid. Later at home, Sammy recreates the train crash from the film with his radio-controlled train set he gets for Hanukkah, and he films it with his father's 8mm camera. As his mother points out, this way, he only has to crash the train once, but he can revisit it over and over until the small boy can come to grips with this frightening scene in the film. From then on, Sammy is a film whiz kid, creating westerns and war movies with innovative special effects as part of his scout troop. His father admires Sammy's skill, but isn't certain that a life making movies is going to pan out. Film then not only becomes the medium by which Sammy processes his various fears and also how he discovers some deeper truths about the world, but it mediates between his mother's artistry and his father's technical prowess. Now, it'd be easy to read the film as overly schematic and sentimental, and we'll see how you think about this, Aaron. But The Fablemans has Spielberg confronting the role of cinema in the 20th century from a very personal standpoint. The film poses some really interesting questions about the ethical consequences of film, its ability to potentially reveal truth about the world otherwise not known to us, or to manipulate and shape the world as we wish to see it. It is the mark of a director moving into his elder statesman years, reflecting back not only on history, but his own life. Now, The film is filled with some excellent performances, in particular Judd Hirsch as Sammy's sort of black sheep uh, circus performer great-uncle, to Seth Rogen as the Uncle Benny character. But it is Michelle Williams as Mitzi and Paul Dano as Bert who have to carry the heaviest roles in the film, filling out the characters of the parents so as to leave us with rounded portraits of complex individuals. Neither is the villain, and we can see where they're coming from as they navigate marital discord. But the consequences for Sammy's life are very real nonetheless. Now, if the Fablemans reminded me of any particular film in Spielberg's past, it's perhaps Catch Me If You Can, for its mix of period detail, humor, and the family drama at the center. But The Fablemans obviously carries some more expectations with it, given it's meant to tell us something about the director himself. So what did you think, Aaron? Where does The Fablemans fall for you in Spielberg's recent output or in his overall oeuvre? And did you enjoy it as much as I did? Because I liked it quite a bit.
0: Uh, From the sounds of it, you might have liked it a little bit more than me. I thought it was very interesting, very entertaining, but I'm not like over the moon for it as a movie. It's kind of interesting because this is one of those films where I didn't like swoon for, but I could see it being very meaningful and even like genuinely impactful on my own life in the fact that while watching it, I felt a little overwhelmed by its loving and very bold and very um, insistent declaration of like the importance of following your passion, especially when that passion is film. And so considering that I haven't like made a movie in three years, I was sitting there watching it being like, I need to go make another movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it, re- it really was like, no, if if I don't do what Sammy does, I'm going to be, you know, Mitzi or something. Like I, you're yeah. going to be left behind and feeling that like discontent that you'll never be able to get over if you don't follow that thing. So it, like it, it taps into that deep emotional. Yeah.
1: So maybe that's a good place to start is like the films sort of take on this romantic notion of pursuing art and craft right so sammy gets the millimeter camera and he's making movies he's you know entranced by cinema from the first moment i I have to admit i actually i prefer the performance of gabriel labelle and mateo zorian he's just a little kid it's hard to you know in some scenes i felt like he they overdo the the spielberg you know, wonder. face the wonder yeah. of oh, this, the big screen. Although I did appreciate that people in the, you know, 1952 would go and uh, put on a suit and go to the theater. Oh, you know. I know. <laughs> oh, Seems like a great uh, experience, but um, I appreciate that the film, um, you know, it, it's sort of this single-minded like pursuit of film as being something meaningful as an entertainment, then as a processing device. I think that's a really interesting suggestion that, you know, and it, and it's one that I've heard before that from critics suggesting, for instance, that you know Raiders of the Lost Ark is a, a film made by a, a young Jewish director getting revenge against the Nazis, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, Spielberg's father is a World War II vet. Many aspects of the characters are pretty apparently close to to tra- reality. But you get um, you know, and Spielberg's always kind of been a little bit of a romantic. But it's interesting because in his earlier films. You know, you kind of get th- – this is a constant theme in his films where someone is, uh, you know, drawn one way, you know, the whole family art thing that his, yeah. his great uncle introduces. I, I like Judd Hirsch's performance. I especially like his introduction of, like, the the Jewish uh, grieving traditions. He's like, what, you never saw Shiva? You, you rip your clothes and lie on the floor, right? Yeah. And then, and then Sam does it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he just
1: rips his pocket. Yeah, he's like, I'll just rip my pocket a little bit. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, this idea that, no, it it you got to do it but just be prepared for the consequences of it. Right. And that's something that like great close encounters of the third kind. Spielberg has often said he would never, couldn't make that movie later as once he was a parent, you know, a film where a guy like literally leaves his family, but he kind of did with this movie, but exactly. This is what, so with this film is kind of, he does make a movie again, where the message appears to be on the surface firmly in his great uncle's, uh, you know, uh, camp and, that obviously, this is part of what. uh No,
0: it, it's Mitzi's line of "you don't owe your life to anyone," right? Yeah, but
1: that's where I actually—I'm not sure I entirely buy the film's message at all, right? Like, no, I'm too, probably can, the point in so my life conflicted. where I'm not that much of a romantic. But, that, but I guess one thing I appreciated a lot about the film is that it does give equal. I think a lot of people will walk away from the film thinking Mitzi's right. That's the point because Spielberg did go off and follow, but at the same time, I think it over don't overlook like the impact of the father figure, the idea of being pushing technical brilliance and like, you know, innovation and things like that. And his dad is actually like, Bert's actually a really good guy. He is. He really like, you know, and he does end up supporting, sorry, spoiler, Sam becomes a, you know, goes off to Hollywood at the end, you know? So I I think actually what it is is a film that he, he wasn't going to pick sides in his parents and, you know, he was just going to allow them both to say their piece and they each have their little speech.
0: And it's so clear how both of them lead into him. And it's, so there's often this idea with filmmaking, right? That it's, it's the art that is also the most of a trade. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating that his dad's an engineer and his mom is a pianist. And so it's like you have the purest form of performer art and technical creation. And it's like, what is film? It's you're expressing yourself artistically by technically creating something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, it works too perfectly. It, it exp- it's a film that like explains Spielberg so much, but I, I don't think we should value it so much from that lens because mm-hmm. I think we can, we can understand Spielberg from his other movies. It's, you know, art always reflects the artist in the most accidental or, or purposeful ways. And it's not something that, like, you need to have mm-hmm. an explicit autobiographical or autofictional fictional. Exploration right. to actually dig into. So,
1: what I'm interested in about the film more than what it says, you know, is this this director who's now, you know, what Spielberg's in his early 70s, going thinking back on his life. Now he's entering, like I said, that uh, elder statesman period. He is kind of looked up to by a lot of people, but also like um, he he's thinking back and looking and reflecting. And cinema, as it did from the very beginning, gives him this tool to do that. I think. What did What did you think of the the way that the film? Portrays the different abilities of cinema. Like it, it is kind of a cinema class in some ways. So oh, first, it, it tells you is. that cinema allows you to to play things over again, right? Process, and process, and repeat, right? And and this is like why why you control time exactly. So that's that's one lesson. And there's another lesson about the the ability to to remove things and delete things, right? Then there's the, there's the fact that film, this is a very Andre Bazin kind of thing for anyone who's like a big film, like in its capturing of reality actually allows you to see the world more deeply than you would have otherwise, right? Because he can go back and look at those scenes and he sees. Yeah. So for the the audience, what we're talking about here is that. There's a bit of a spoiler here, but.
0: No, but yeah. So at this point you should have seen the movie if you're continuing to listen, but it's when he's making a camping video Mm -hmm. for his mom, his mom's, his grandma has just died and he wants his dad's like. And they you just have to moved make to Phoenix, movie. and yeah. they're
1: feeling a bit depressed. Yeah.
0: You have to make this movie. You have to make the she loved the camping trip. So you have to make and edit the film before you do anything else, so that you can show it to your mom to cheer her up. And in editing this, he starts to notice these little clips in the background of his mom and his, you know, so called uncle, like Dad. his dad's best. They make friend, a point. Benny, as dad's best friend. Yeah. yeah, Benny, Seth Rogen character, and how they look at each other, and how they touch each other, and the clear affection the clear even if it's there's not an actual affair happening there's clearly an emotional one occurring mm-hmm. in front of his eyes and he as a teenager just dawns on yeah. him while going like, through this footage
1: honestly that scene it's like a crime it's like, scene <laughs> it's like uh it's like it's almost like the the visual version of it's like blowout with like uh John of the De Palma film right well i was like,
0: thinking of blow up the antonio yeah no like that is if you have you seen i haven't seen, blow Ant- up?
1: I haven't Cause, seen cause
0: it because in blow up it is just one of the few ones it's one of the entries and seen. in on yeah, the dead okay. body in the background he's blowing he's literally blowing up the footage to get the shot of the background of the murder occurring and it's just it's that the fact that the process mm-hmm. the technical process the physical process of filmmaking allows you to have an emotional breakthrough and now to reflect on reality with a greater Seriously. like understanding and truth so like that moment brilliant i want you to make a camping can learn how the editing machine works while you do this. It'll make your mom feel better. Yeah. That last night when she danced in the headlights—that'd be great. Get to it tomorrow, okay? Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend. Shooting this weekend. We got like 40 guys coming to be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trip stuff on Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's... and I said that I will, just not tomorrow. Don't Please. be selfish. She just lost her mother. That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? It'll cheer her up watching this. It's something we can her do. Mom her mom just died. T- it's, it's not, I was that going to cheer her because up. Because
1: you made it for her. Yeah. And then the last lesson he learns is when he makes the uh, beach movie yeah, skip for the day. school and for school, skip day, which is like a 1260s, like so know, good. beach movie. And the, uh, the, I forget the name of the, I should have the this, jaw uh,
0: character, the jaw character
1: it. is who's been tormenting him and uh, is, but is portrayed in the film as the hero of the day, the, the of the school, the, the sort of you know, this blonde, like sort of like beach God. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's angry and he's upset. He's like, that's not how the reality is. Why did you do that? He's like, and it's like, because that's the better story.
0: Yeah. It's like, maybe I did it to make you feel bad. Maybe I did it um, because I want you to apologize to me. Maybe I did it because it makes my movie better.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And it's like, but also the, so the ability of cinema to, to misrepresent to uh, create a myth to you know in that way so it, it is really I, I, those are the moments I liked those but you also forgot the one
0: other moment which is the moment where he makes the film of coming into the new house they never live in yeah yeah which is the idea of he's portraying what could be and not yeah, what is
1: the possibilities of the future yeah, in a way exactly which are all things that Spielberg would do in his movies yeah
0: so like this is one of those movies kind of similar to what I said a few minutes ago where there are aspects of it I found profound to a degree that is like alarming and very like I want to wrestle with it mm-hmm. on a very deep level. And because I think all the filmmaking stuff is so perceptive. It, the, the fact that it like digs into the process of filmmaking, it pays so much loving attention to the technical and the, the procedural. The fact that even just Tape putting the film the, into the reel, the taping, yeah. the fact the that gluing. he's using the old um, – I don't know the edit, the name of the editing machine. Yeah, there's machines, a name of the machine, but for eight, like vitriola like a... or whatever. But like cutting them together, and but even like you know, it's to make his little movie magic. There's he's poking the pinholes for the gunshots. Gun yeah. And the scene that I loved is the dawning relay is a realization of like direct directing an actor. So when he's yeah. making that, when yeah, he's making the, the with war his movie, got his scout exactly. Like he's out. got the scout buddy, and he's like, oh, we're doing real acting here. He's like, yeah, you're you're coming over this edge. And, and you, just you all these men, all those men to their death. Yeah, to, He's like, no, I didn't kill them. It's like, no, but they're dead because you couldn't save them. You're their leader. You ordered them into this. And, he's, and then the guy's he's so talking to, and he's but no, but he's starting to say it, and he's yeah. starting to get emotional. And then the actor's like, oh, this is heavy stuff. And it's, it's just... <laughs> And then he goes and acts so well, to what, the like point fifteen where he, year old kids. Yeah, and he <laughs> forgets his like he forgets his mark. He just yeah. keeps walking. Keeps he's walking. so into How it. How long are you gonna
1: make, let him walk? Right.
0: <laughs> the movie is really funny.
1: <laughs> the thing about this movie is that yeah, it, that's partly why I but, thought. But like that seems 10. so
0: true. That's so. Yes. That is. That is like, literally every. I think every person who's directed has this breakthrough when they realize that like, oh, when you are talking to an actor, you can like break through to something real while well, discussing mm-hmm. the actor and this is he's depicting the first moment that happens for him where it's not just yeah. a fun thing he's on just film doing it's a like rehearsal. no it's real
1: <laughs> emotion yeah they're just doing a uh, uh nathan fielder style of rehearsal of yeah <laughs> the real emotions that we're going to feel so like that i think that's what i what i thought but why i think this movie my initial impressions is how good it is, is because there's already these moments in the film where I'm like, well, that's a scene I'll remember for like a long, long time. They like they they stand out so. F- and maybe Spielberg, that happens a lot for him. I hate the whole like, oh Spielberg, he's you know, oh it's a return to form. I'm like, he literally made West Side Story last year, which was like, he's
0: never made a he's never never a bad period of his career.
1: <laughs> no, I mean like I didn't love the post. Uh, you know, but like, other than that, like, I think he's even like Bridge of Spies and even Ready yeah. Player One has its uh, charms, you know.
0: Hey, BFG. It's very enjoyable yeah, yeah, too. exactly. So like,
1: but this one does stand out a little bit in terms of some of those like individual scenes, I think are, are quite memorable. So, so I'm curious what didn't ring true for you.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a movie where there's like so much in it that's clearly him like ripping from his heart, almost in a sense. It's mm-hmm. so personal. The movie is so personal and I think that leads into some of the things that don't quite work for me which is the presentation of of a couple of the women in the movie Mm. i I went into it and it's interesting where i saw the you know obviously beforehand i saw the casting i didn't really watch the trailer even when it was playing in the theater i like went to the washroom i didn't want to see it i'm like i don't want anything like seen i'm just gonna go in blind that's kind of how i prefer for most movies now and i was like oh michelle williams paul dano ah michelle williams that that's like good casting uh, like she's such a sturdy actor. And then Paul Dano, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting because Paul Dano is a very hit or miss guy in the sense that I think he's like incredible in some movies like Love and Mercy or, yeah. you know, controversially, I think even for a movie that most people think is, is amazing, like There Will Be Blood. He's amazing in that movie, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But he's infuriating in that movie.
1: I, I found it interesting that you talk about actors moving into different periods. Dano has been kind of toying with playing older characters for a while i mean i think he's rough about my age around 40 but um this is the first one where i'm like oh he's now he's in i think i totally buy him as like a 40 year old man like
0: no but so what i was gonna say is that i was expecting to be skeptical of dano and completely on board with michelle williams and my experience is the opposite i thought paul dano actually is extremely credible as the somewhat emotionally reticent but extremely interested dad mm -hmm. who. You know has his baggage but he doesn't put it on his kids he clearly is interested in his own things and it probably would be everybody would be helped if he was able to um express himself a little bit better but there's still like no doubt about his his love of his family and you know it might be a connection to the fact that like our dad is an engineer who is known for being a little under expressive in certain (laughs) aspects and it's like oh he kind of reminds he reminds me of dad (laughs) but and dad's ma- love this
1: movie
0: oh absolutely because it's also going to bring him back to his childhood so, he's, exactly he's roughly, he's roughly the same, roughly same age, age. Spielberg, yeah, yeah. But, but williams is just it's such a tricky thing when you approach a character who is a in this sense melodramatic she is, person she yeah a melodramatic person a troubled person she's depressed mm-hmm. she's got yep. mental health uh, mental health issues she is you know besought with other things in life that are not her life in front of her whether you know she wants to be a pianist but she's got all these kids. She wants to be with Benny, as we learn, but mm-hmm. she's married to Bert. But I think it's one of those things of the personal aspect of the film. I, I can't ex- I can't assume here. Like, I, I don't know here, but I have to kind of assume in the per- process of making a movie this personal that Spielberg's like, no, you represent my mother or my thoughts, my mother... But the way it comes across to me is phony Hmm. because she becomes more of a totem of the disaffected um, Eisenhower Kennedy era housewife. She becomes a version of the like the artist who could not have lived out her life. The idea of the like woman being flighty and not really there for a family. She buys a monkey. She, you know, she doesn't unpack the thing. She's no longer cooking. And she's it's like, oh, she's doing things that are kind of extravagant and a little bit inappropriate in front of the kids, like dancing in her in her like see through nightgown. And there's a beauty there, but the character becomes more of a totem than a person. Yeah, I think that might be that like it might be a reflection of his complicated relationship to his own mom and how he sees her in his life. Mm -hmm. But it's just like some of the things she says, whether it's the line you don't owe anyone your life where it's like, that's a self-justification. She's exactly. trying to justify the fact that she doesn't want to actually be there for the family. If she's yeah. not talking to him. She's talking to herself.
1: Although, you know, one in one aspect where she's wrong, literally, is that your kids, you did bring them into the world. You do actually owe yes, them. Yes,
0: that's my whole thing. I'm like, if you have a kid, you actually, that that's there, the lie. That's not true you, anymore. Yeah. You you do owe that person everything. Exactly. That's the whole point of it. You know, I, I'm always um, hesitant to cr- critique, like criticize an actor for their approach to a character, but I just don't think the way that Michelle Williams played the kind of ticks. I think really she worked played for me. it
1: to arch and yeah. not as grounded as everybody else did. Or, or as like everyone else, not that they were grounded. Like she's, her performance doesn't quite match the rest of them. I,
0: I agree. It, hers is theatrical, and the rest of them are kind of just conventional movie performances. And I think that, um, oh, what's his name? The, the guy who plays Sammy, like the main... Yeah, Gabriel LaBelle. Yeah, Gabriel LaBelle. Label. He's really good. He is very good. And he's he's great in bo- in like the two senses. He's, he's great as this kind of eyes of the audience. He's so good as that just kind of quiet watcher. But the scenes where he has to vocalize... Or express himself or make jokes. Like, they all land really well and really authentic. It's quite funny. And so it's interesting having that balance where you're like, it's just weird. Yeah, Michelle Williams seems phony in the movie to me. And I don't know whether that's her fault. Intentional or not, yeah. Exactly. It's like, is the mom just... Playing out this dream in her life, I think it
1: kind of is intentional because of the nature of the character. I guess that's how I read it. I I've, I I do sense what you're saying. I like like it's not one of those situations where I don't. I get what you're saying. I think I just read it as more in, not only intentional on the part of the director, but intentional on the part of the character and the way the character is expressing herself. Um, but I I did really like yeah. I remember the name Uncle Boris. <laughs> Uncle Boris.
0: That's such a good
1: scene. What Hirsch. He's is there like it's one of those like. For anyone who's expecting a lot of Judd Hirsch in this movie, who I, who I really like as an actor, no, he gets. He's it's a one. It's a one sequence. Uh, he
0: still might get an Oscar nom for it. Honestly. He might. Yeah.
1: The other character who, if you want to talk about the humor in the movie, oh my goodness, uh, Chloe East is Monica, <laughs> the girlfriend, the overly Christian girlfriend. I was dying at some of her stuff. It was just painful
0: she's really funny but so <laughs> she's very so funny. so monica monica i would say i actually think of similarly not the performance to i think missy. the performance is quite yeah. good but it's similar to missy in the sense that the presentation of that aspect so in this part of the film sammy goes to a new high school in northern california and it's a very Christian high school, as he learns. There's not many Jewish people And there's people some anti-Semites. Around. And there's anti-Semites who start bullying him. And then he falls in this girl who's very Christian. And she's like, we're going to, you know, come over to my house to pray. But she really just wants a kiss. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she's got a, you know mural on the wall of her the men she loves in her life and yeah. there's a bunch of Jesus pictures but there's also like Hollywood stars yeah, and, then she's like, and, yeah. and she's like and, yeah she's like Jesus you know Jesus is sexy like and she's got a big heart He's around like, isn't like, that sacrilegious <laughs> no and she's like no he was a man and he was a hot man <laughs> he and came to like, life he was a
1: cute Jewish boy just like you yeah <laughs> which is and the and- line that killed in the theater when I saw it
0: he came to us as a man a handsome young man he could have come as a girl or an old man, or someone with leprosy, but nobody knows what he really looked like. Probably he looked like you. Oh, because, because he was Jewish, my handsome Jewish boy. It's very funny, and I think she's she kind of makes the caricature work of yeah. this like clueless but well-meaning. Because she's not Christian actually as clueless
1: though in the end as no. you think.
0: But that, I'm saying that that plot aspect, the way that the anti Semitism is displayed in the film is the other thing where I'm sure it's true to life. I mm-hmm. honestly am. But it again rings like of this movie that's so particular and so nuanced in the way that it does the approaching, the filmmaking, the way that Sammy channels his problems with his family through the way he approaches film. Then you get like a just run of the mill, you know, like yeah. just the anti-Semitism jokes. I'm like, I'm sure people did that, but it just comes across as like an after school special. And I don't, I don't know if that's fair of me, but again, yeah, it just, I just don't it's, know. It's
1: how, the, I, I actually, I'm trying to imagine how you deal with that
0: because in other ways, like I bet they would, like, it gets pretty violent. Like it does. The, there's some pretty vicious bullying of him. And the one kid is just an absolute shithead who's yeah, you, just
1: can't he wait him a, to get
0: his comeuppance yeah so. he leaves a bagel like and he destroys him in film that's the thing he makes him come out as the biggest loser ever in the actual yeah. like skip day video and just destroys him in front of the whole graduating class <laughs> so yeah. it's a pretty great comeuppance it's just when i'm watching that i'm like it's it's another one of those things i don't want to judge it too much but the watching of it it seems to be slightly mm. a different emotional tenor than the rest of the film to the point where I can't be like this film as a whole is one of Spielberg's best. Yeah, even though there I, are moments in it where I'm like overwhelmed, far. but yeah. I like Westworld, uh, West Side Story more Same. from like, last year.
1: West Side Story was my number two film last year. This is not going to be my number two film of this year.
0: But there's a lot of good stuff going on. I yeah, loved like John Williams' score is really yeah, good because it's
1: again Williams who's to almost probably going to be the last score he does,
0: it, uh, isn't it? The last score? if, it is,
1: if not it is, and it's he returning to some of his jazz roots and stuff too. Yes. The time period he's really, really
0: playing into it. Yeah. Um, I just
1: love the the opening, like, you know, just remembering the credits, like all the, all the, the guys he's working with again here, like, like Michael Kahn and Janusz Kaminski. And like, it's just like, yeah, all that crew.
0: What did you think of the way the film handles the divorce aspect of the parents? Because it's, it is, as you kind of said earlier, it's, it's, he doesn't want to like side with one parent or the other, mm-hmm. even though narratively he does. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Bert, Who? Right? Who's, he, Bert's the last parent we see.
1: Because he's Liv goes to live with Bert when he goes to university. Yeah. And because Bert finally encourages him to go to the, you know.
0: He's like, stop going yeah, to school. Go do you your dream. Go do your movie thing.
1: Yeah. It kind of, I think the, one of the better scenes where it deals with it is actually when uh, uh, Julia Butters as his sister Reggie comes and they have that conversation about mm-hmm the parents i think that is a very like real and i think the reactions of the kids seem very realistic from what i you know understand and can imagine it would be for kids i think it's it's a weird thing because if sam slash steven was the age he's is in the film when his parents separated it probably maybe had less of an impact on him than it might have on his younger siblings. Oh, for sure. Because, so in that sense, he can, he can, because he got his intact childhood, he can forgive them there because he, he was already enough of an adult to understand the impulses a little bit that were driving them one way or the other, right? He had already at that, you know, he's, you know, <laughs> at the prom, you know, proposing to Monica and doing, you That know, was <laughs> so fun. You know. um, so... So yeah, I, I see what you mean but because it's, so it's, ultimately because it's so focused in the end on Sam's perspective, I don't think you get a full treatment of that and I, you could imagine a different movie maybe from the point of view of one of the younger sisters or something where this or is, one of,
0: is, is or one yeah, of the parents or one of the parents
1: either. because yeah you know I, what is because Bert's so emotionally reserved it's hard to know but he's clearly like kind of devastated by this. Yeah. And feels he doubly he betrayed because want it's his to like best it. friend too, right? Like but he also understands because he's like he want he does want her to be happy.
0: No, but also what is the other implication with Bert, what makes Bert a very interesting character, is that the most important thing in his life is the work. Yeah. It's the fact that he can create these computers for IBM. And as he says at one point where he's like, Benny was, and then he pauses, is my best friend. Yeah. But I don't need him anymore. And what he means is like, I don't need him to work, work. but it also means that I don't need him personally because the work is my life. Exactly. And that's that's the, that's the kind of mindset that passes on to Sammy where the work is the life, Yeah. which again, it's like, it's, it's interesting how this movie fits into a lot of other, um, nostalgia pieces this year. And I think Mm -hmm. this is one of those years that we've gone, you know, we've gotten several love letters to the movies. I haven't seen some of the others. I haven't seen Empire Light yet by Sam Mendes. I haven't seen Babylon by Damien Chazelle. So I, I don't know what kind of tenor those are taking, but I can compare this movie to some of the nostalgia pieces that are auto fiction by these filmmakers. I'd Armageddon actually, Time? Yeah. Armageddon Time by James also Gray. Just- Family. Yep. Which this movie is very similar to me. It, I find very similar. It, it has nothing to do with filmmaking Armageddon time, mm-hmm. but it's also that trepidation over the things that make you the person you are now and the regrets of how the very thing that makes you the person you are now is also born out of something that you can't kind of wish you could go back and change about your family circumstances or whatnot. You get Charlotte Wells after Sun, which is one of the best reviewed movies of the year. And it's her Scottish filmmaker, um, her feature debut. And it's about like a Turkish holiday between this dad and his dad who's too young basically to be a dad he's like turning 30 in the movie and he's got like a 13 year old daughter and they're on vacation together he's clearly not with the mom and he's he's depressed but she's not old enough to really like understand that and so it's about coming to the realization of like oh your parent is like a person beyond you mm-hmm. and it's all about that and so again melancholy and then you get even stuff in like the spring some of these movies that fell back, and then you get, you know, something like Apollo 10 and a half, which is Richard yeah. Linklater's childhood, which is much livelier and but it's so it revels in the details.
1: Yeah. And it also is another where the, the father is like in like working in engineering and stuff.
0: Yeah. Working at NASA, but a kind of not a glamorous job at NASA. <laughs> but it's just He's interesting. Kind of we've got yeah. we've gotten so many of these movies this year from these major directors, and you know, one new director, but who's now making a name for herself. And it's, it's interesting to read this film within that and be like, you know, if this movie had come out four years ago, I kind of feel like the expectation would have been, oh, it's just this love letter to movies. It's this uncomplicated nostalgic piece. And it's not. No. It's it's nostalgia, but in like the true sense of being really mournful. Bittersweet. Yeah, exactly. Bittersweet. Because it's, it's, it's showing his love of this thing that he's made his life doing, but also how that precludes him from fulfilling some of the other things that he wishes i
1: wonder if some of these movies that are you know treating this sort of i don't know if you want to call it and it's almost like the end of cinema in a way <laughs> it really it's is. Like disturbing <laughs> it's
0: like, as hbo max deletes movies and <laughs> yeah. and studios are like yeah we're just not going to do that anymore as as the theatrical window you know theaters close and Um, The theatrical window shrinks and every movie in theaters is only a giant blockbuster. It's like, yeah, you know, every 10 years you get an op-ed from a major Mm -hmm. film writer being, is this the end of movies? And it's like, it might be yeah,
1: for real. (laughs) It's kind of like, but I I don't want to be like, uh, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, obviously, but um, one thing I've always found interesting is thinking of like those cinema as being like particularly tied to an era, which is like, it's it's the art form of the 20th century. Right, yeah, the long twentieth century, in the same way that the novel was the the art form of the long nineteenth century, and in the same way, at the very end, you get stuff like Proust writing, you know, reflecting on the possibilities of the novel to look back on his own life and, and examine those kind of things, in a way, you know, like not not I'm not saying that Fablemans is Proust, but <laughs> it's uh it is as much as Spielberg in his popular mode of filmmaking. You know, that other yeah, you know, people you know i think actually the thing that maybe kind of bugs me the most is that like this movie like i saw it in our city at our local like art house cinema and i know it's playing on a few multiplexes simply because it's spielberg but like i feel like if this had come out I don't know, not that it maybe could have given the subject matter like 10, 15 years ago, this would have been a much bigger movie.
0: Yeah. In it would have been like
1: catch me if you can style hit. Exactly. It might have made, you know, $100 million. $100 million, exactly. And now this is like, you, you got guys like Spielberg and Scorsese who are like making the art house. And that means that like the art house doesn't even have room for other people. But so it's, uh yeah, bittersweet in that way.
0: It is. And it's also weird because this. <laughs> I don't quite understand why the mo- why the movie wasn't released in December because it's like it starts with Hanukkah. Like, yeah, you it literally make should it be like coming movie. out this Friday. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: literally Hanukkah starts next like Monday, so
0: it's a good Hanukkah
1: movie. <laughs> yes, there aren't very many. So, no, that, that I know of. So, I I actually appreciated those early scenes. You know, <laughs> when they're driving through and ask him what he wants for Christmas, and he says Christmas or for Hanukkah, and he says Christmas lights. Yeah, the dad's like, Jews don't have Christmas lights. I thought, but we have, but the way his dad like his Bird is always actually somewhat of an optimist in many ways, weirdly. But we have eight candles, right?
0: Yeah, and, and so eight he's candles like, burning in the window. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So you know, it, it, I asked. I think I think those are nice touches, and it, actually, that makes me. I really appreciate Paul Dano's performance in this film. I think he's he's very good.
0: Well, I just the movie. But it's is, not. A,
1: it's not as flashy though, right? So
0: no, it's not his Riddler. <laughs> oh. No, but it's not yeah. big Paul Dano. Exactly. It's it's actually quite internalized and subtle Paul Dano, mm-hmm. which is is a very good performer. Yeah. But um, it's kind of funny, yeah, with the, uh, like comparing the Armageddon time again, it's another movie that often talks about the Jewishness of the characters and makes it an explicit part. And that's in the 1980s. So it's a slightly different environment where... There's not an implied anti-Semitism in the people around, but it's the idea that the Jewish people within that film are starting to kind of pass for white to the point where they, even though they tell themselves stories about the Holocaust at home during dinner um, and about their differences, they like to take advantage of the fact that for all intents and purposes, nobody cares Mm -hmm. in some respects. And like, that's a part of it. And this movie doesn't have that, but they do kind of feed into the, the like the the Jewish American experience is very key to both these films, and I like yeah. that specificity, especially see, as it plays into movies. But you see that beginning to happen
1: when they go also the like in the camping trip, yeah, and. Bert wants to sing that song, yeah, and then
0: Benny makes it a big joke. Right? The Yiddish, yeah, yeah. Actually, Seth Rogen's quite good. He's used well for yeah. being. He's not going outside of his like Seth Rogen zone no. of performance, but he's used really well for the story.
1: Exactly. I feel like he got the the role in this because of the uh, the you know the pickle movie that he made, <laughs> in a sense that his his ability to like also like do both comedic and treat like the the family dynamics.
0: No, you know why I think he got it is because his chemistry with uh, Michelle Willem is from Sarah Polly's oh, Take This yeah, Waltz. Oh, yes,
1: Take This Waltz. You're right. Good point. They play a married couple point. in it. Yeah. So
0: they know each other and they're comfortable with each other and they have yeah. an easygoing nature, which she does not have with Paul Dana. No, no. You think whatever bad things you want about me, kiddo, but you stop making movies. It'll break your mother's heart. You will break her heart. I mean it. She doesn't deserve that. Not from anybody, at least of all from you.
1: And what about what about the ending? Of the, I, the ending scene of this film is like honestly, yeah. Okay, no, I love the ending. So, good, so much, too good. But what the best is that the visual joke at the very yes. last scene,
0: where of, the camera actually the shifts camera down. actually shifts up, so that this yeah, it's because if the if the horizon at the top, the top, it's at the bottom. It's interesting, but if the middle, it's boring. Boring. <laughs> ah, yeah. uh, David Lynch. <laughs> but it's okay. There is a meta joke in there, though. Like. It's just the presentation of the scene, the fact that we see Sammy sneak, uh, not sneak out, but he goes to see Liberty Valance earlier in the film. Yep, exactly. We watch clips And then Liberty when they Valance. look at all the posters and that's the and last the, one that, that you see. That shot, of the, yeah. there's a 360 degree pan of all the John the posters, Ford films. Yep. And it ends with him realizing that the poster just to his left where his head is obscuring a bit when he leans back and looks at it in the frame. Yeah, He sees that it's a man who shot Liberty Valance, which I think Spielberg considers like the best. Possibly before. the greatest movie ever made. Um At least one. I'm of. due for a rewatch.
1: I, 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 I've been toying with the idea of well, next year, like trying to do, watch every John Ford I can find. There's but There's so <laughs> many. He, I mean, I, maybe I have to like, skip the silent films. But.
0: Yeah, that that it'd probably be doable if you did into the silent and did the silent as its own thing a different time. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of lost John Ford movies, unfortunately, too. But it's just so bad. In itself, is amazing, and it was funny because I went to see it at the varsity mm-hmm. in Toronto, and there's. You know, it's the movie theater known for having like a lot of old folks go to see movies there. Yeah. And it was a matinee. And so as the movie, as it was panning very slowly and lovingly over these classic movie posters, this old couple behind me were like, Oh, that movie's wonderful. Oh, how green and you know, it's how green how is green, My green valley. My valley yeah. And they're the like, quiet, oh, It's a man. wonderful film. And then yeah three godfathers oh the god that's fun and like they're just like speaking out and the <laughs> meaning of these specific john ford movies And everyone and then liberty vans and they're like oh yes of course
1: <laughs> it's kind of interesting that spielberg um sort of like puts forward up here like by all accounts he did meet john ford briefly when he was young mm-hmm. and um but it's interesting that so he makes kind of john ford the stand-in for like the classic movies, the classic yes. Hollywood in that sense and considers him like the greatest in that sense the same way that actually it was Orson Welles also felt the same way about Ford. Remember he so watched remember, Stagecoach. Exactly. That's the famous line right where he says they asked us like who did you study before you made Citizen Kane? He's like well you know I, I watched John Ford, John Ford and John Ford and yeah. It's particularly Stagecoach. Yeah,
0: It's actually interesting that that generation of the 1940s filmmakers thought of the 1930s filmmakers in that way. So like yeah. um, Billy Wilder had a plaque in his office, on the wall, that said, what would Lubitsch do? And <laughs> yeah. it explains Billy yeah, Wilder yeah, as a does, filmmaker. Really, yeah. It's like, Lubitsch is his godfather. He's going to do what he does. And in many ways, Spielberg does look to Ford mm-hmm. in the idea of the pinnacle of classical, popular The interesting filmmaking. thing is
1: that Ford would continue to make, like, I mean, great films up until, like, even, like, people, because some people consider The Searchers his greatest film, that's in the 50s, so.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, but what I was going to say a few minutes yeah, ago is basically worry. that the, men- no, it's, but it's the meta joke where it's like, you're gonna meet the world's greatest filmmaker, and then it's David Lynch sitting in there. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like And the long, the long
1: like smoke slay the, the cigar. Oh, it's so
0: good. But no, but it's just it's so funny where it's like Spielberg Did, is making guessed? a joke that yeah. like, oh, it's Lynch. But it's also like he's I could your, see Steven Spielberg be like, Oh, David Lynch is the best filmmaker in the world. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> because I he's the kind of guy who respects Lynch, film that much. Yeah, and that Lynch uh would do the role too. It was fun.
0: Apparently, Lynch was like adamant on doing it like in character and trying nice. to like sublimate himself. So like you can tell, his voice is like not quite as Lynch. No, as usual.
1: And he visually gets like the hat and the the patch and the glasses it looks pretty good.
0: It is. It worked. It's it's such a nice touch at the end. It is. Yeah. You can you can tell that also like in Sammy the the combination of awe and terror.
1: But that's apparently. I mean we go on a whole. The stories I've read about John Ford, like when I well, he, he my walks hit, in with
0: all the lipstick.
1: Yeah. Well, it also I read. Um, so he was a very man, a man of many uh, mixed things. Apparently, he was obviously a heavy drinker. He would go on these like crazy benders and like be under a blanket and stuff like that. But there's a famous like he had this like persona to hold up. Like there was one. I don't know if you've ever heard the story and we can cut this if it goes too long, but the, um, Ford, there was a guy who had worked with him years before who like came up to him and, uh, was like, you know, basically Mr. Ford, you know, my wife, she's very sick and I, I don't have any money. And can you help me out? Can you help me out? Mr. Ford. And he's like, get out of here. And he like shoves the guy out of the way and like, all this stuff goes into his car. And then he turns to his sister and he's like, go find him and give him the money.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I remember that right. story. Yeah. yeah.
1: So like that Ford was both like, he wanted this, persona of like the tough you know wartime like guy a tough old irishman but um you know he was deep down actually a very sentimental person which i think his films show as well
0: yes yeah oh,
1: so so, so. A, so now we got like the you know spielberg bookends his career with this i mean obviously i think spielberg is going to continue to make some more movies see. but Martin if this Squirst- was
0: if this was the last spielberg movie like would that be kind of fitting that ending especially because this is what i think about it, the, the final shot where the actual camera adjusts Mm -hmm. to follow the advice of john ford in the film it's maybe the only moment in all of spielberg cinema where he inserts himself as the Mm -hmm. filmmaker behind the camera it's almost like
1: looney tunes like
0: it's like
1: like uh duck and muck like where it makes it also very clear that the guy making this movie is sammy right like at that point even if you didn't Follow all the like, you know, buzz. But the movie didn't know much about it. You'd be like, "Oh, director is following the advice yeah. that he got.
0: Yeah. He took it to heart." Sammy, we're going to use Daddy's camera to film it. Only crash the train once, okay? Then after we get the film developed, you can watch it crash over and over till it's not so scary anymore, and your real train won't ever get broken. One more thing, Dolly. Let's not tell your father. It'll be our secret movie, just yours and mine. Okay? Okay.
1: Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye, Mr. Mullen. I bid you farewell.